0: Hey, folks, it's Stephanie and Tony here, and we just wrapped up a pretty cool podcast with Barbara Champ, whose new novel, well actually, it's her first novel, but it just won two pretty impressive awards. And we were talking with her about her novel, which is called Third Haven.
1: Yeah, it was cool because she's a member of our writers group. Yes. Um, and if you're interested in the Berlin writers group, we meet on the second Tuesday of every month at
0: 6 session. Six. Well, it's supposed to meet at six p.m., sir.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I. All right. So you guys meet at six p.m. I meet at like six o seven, six
0: fifteen. We don't start till you show up anyway. So. <laughs> uh,
1: but anyway, and she's always really, t- t- uh, she's always really entertaining to hang out with uh, at the meetings. And you forget sometimes that people are good at what they do when you just don't know them. I mean, yes, it is a writers' meeting, but we don't really, we don't really talk about writing in that way at the meeting. So, so to hear her talk about you know what she's been through um she sh- she suffered a, a head injury and that made it difficult for her in writing the novel as part of the recovery and just getting this angle on her was something that I wasn't informed about
0: yeah i mean she had a pretty it was in 2008 she fell off a ladder and hit her head and had a pretty traumatic brain injury ended up in a, a coma for a while and so in the process of recovering And trying to come, you know, trying to recover from that and trying to find herself again, she thought, yeah, maybe I'll use writing as a way to recover. And so on the podcast, I'm not going to give it all away, but she talks about what that was like for her. And for me, you know, I have, I mean, my wife had a traumatic brain injury, so it really hit close to home. And the fact that she was able to pull all that together with that, to me, is just a tremendous amount of work. And I think she should be totally commended for that valiant effort she put forward
1: absolutely and the book is certainly worth the read and you can get it on amazon and all of those fun places um the other thing we want to talk about is plugs in the front um well plugs a little bit behind the front uh but uh we want you to write to us and uh, send us your words for limerick and haikuing because um we've got a new postcard now so you want to talk about the postcard
0: yeah so i'm working with a local artist and we've got our we're, we've, what we decide to do is create kind of a custom postcard. I'm going to
1: interrupt you for just a second because I want to thank our postcard sponsors. So we funded the postcards with donations from our listeners. Which yes. I think was pretty cool. We we, we funded the design anyway. Yeah. The design and the actual printing. Yes. Because you guys sent us money on the donate button, which is cool because Stephanie put it in like as a space filler essentially, not thinking that people would, I mean, not as a space filler, but not thinking that people would actually donate to the podcast. So the fact that you guys have reached out with a couple bucks here and there, really, really, really flattering. And hopefully you like the new postcards. And if you want to get a new postcard, well,
0: yeah, exactly. Well, I just want to give a shout out to Kathleen Martin's because that was the uh, most recent donation, and we were just totally floored and humbled by her by her donation. Um, so, if you would like to donate to the podcast, or if you'd like to get one of these hot, cool, new uh, postcards that we're going to be kind of coming up with here shortly, you can go to our podcast page, which is so what's your story There's a contact us button. You can just do a name, an address, phone number. No, a uh, name. Email, address, pick a word. Tony will put it into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. And then we're going to slap a stamp on this fancy schmancy new postcard. And we're going to send it to you in the mail.
1: Right. And to our friends who are missing them, we are four or five behind. Yes. And I wanted to be-
0: hold them for the new fancy postcard. So Vicky Mullaney and uh, Cindy Cavett. And uh, there's a couple other folks Our friend out there. In
1: Washington. We have one of, one of our listeners in Washington whose name isn't in front of us. Um, he's a he's a big fan of the East Coast. He's a Chesapeake guy. He lives
0: on the Puget Sound now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we, we have we have your your postcards nearly ready to go. The haiku and limericks are complete, uh, but we want to put them on the cool new postcard. We don't want you to find out that you were the last one to get the old postcards. So we're maybe six weeks behind.
0: Yeah, we're, we're kind of far behind, but I really think you're going to love the new postcard. It's going to be kind of a statement piece. So just hold tight. Your postcards are coming. And actually, speaking of Vicki Molini, she sent in a really super nice letter to us. I'm going to send her an email thanking her for But she sent us an email saying that she was at a book signing and a lady came up to her and said, hey, you know, I'm here because I heard you on this uh, radio show. So that was pretty cool too.
1: It is super cool. And so if you are a writer and we don't know you, and most of the writers, that we've had, I certainly I didn't know, but even many you didn't know. Um feel free to reach out to us and um and get yourself on the show. We uh we meet at the Saltwater Media in Berlin and we'll talk for like an hour or so and we'll put about half an hour of that on the radio. But it's cool it's cool to meet new writers and it's also kind of difficult to book the show sometimes. So if if you if you're a writer and you want to be on, we totally want to have you on.
0: Yeah, just contact us and we'll we'll get we'll put a microphone in front of you. Mm -hmm. All right.
2: And now here's Barbara Champ. It was a release, and, and there's only a little bit in this book of what actually happened in real life. I have been honored on two occasions to speak to very large groups of people about my personal experience, and um, that's a rather detailed experience that I've written about privately, but everyone keeps saying, oh, you should write that story. Oh, you should do that. You know, that's really important. It's going to help other people. And it's just that it's so close still for me, even though it's been eight years since it happened. It's so close yet that I can't really uh, wrap my mind around putting that in print. It's so personal. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler
1: and this is Tony Russo.
2: And you're listening to
0: another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Barbara Champ, whose new novel Third Haven just won two impressive awards. Set against the backdrops of Washington D.C. and coastal Delaware, The novel follows Claire McIntosh and her secrets and struggles in the aftermath of a terrorist attack. Barbara is with us today to talk about her novel as well as the inspiration behind the work. So welcome to the podcast, Barbara. Well,
2: thank you for having me.
0: When I found out how you wrote this and why you wrote this and the inspiration that kind of... Led you
2: to this project,
0: I was just stunned, and I would love for you to share that with our listeners.
2: I guess the short version is that in 2008, I was up on a ladder painting around a skylight and I fell. The result of that was that, you know, I suffered a brain injury and a coma, an induced coma. When I came out of it, I had a long way to go. So I slept through about a year and a half, two years of my life, and then I started trying to write, and I could only begin with poetry. A year or two later, I started to think, well, Maybe I should write a novel. If I can write a novel, a suspense novel, and bury all these little clues in it, and a reader could follow it, then maybe I've come back. Maybe my short-term memory's not so bad. Maybe I can win again. The only problem with it was I would write and write and write, and the next day I would get up, and I couldn't remember anything I wrote, so I'd have to reread All of it. Oh, no. It was a a great experience. You know, after you spend about four years working on it, you start to remember the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a little easier.
0: Yeah. Were there any of these moments where like, you know, the next day you wake up and like, wow, I am
2: brilliant. Look what I pulled together. (laughs) Well, I think the moment of brilliance was actually before I went to sleep at night. I wow, I've really done it. It's kind of like in addition to your reader. I mean, you were sort of finding and rebuilding and falling back into your work. Literally every day. You know, I think I had always written as a technical writer in my job previously. I wrote educational evaluations for students. But this is different. You have to develop character. You have to write enough that people will fall into that character and they'll believe them. And setting is really important. Uh, and, of course, we live in such a beautiful area that I could draw on that.
1: Reading before you write, I, I have to do that anyway because I'll, I'll pick things up and I'll put them down for a while. And I need to do that just, I mean, I don't need to read the entire work, but I do need to read maybe six or eight pages to kind of pick up the thread and the mood, like, um, to to get the rhythm, to get back into the rhythm of the story. Do you feel like, even though it was a difficulty, do you feel like that might have helped your rhythm, helped you keep the same kind of narrative flow all the way through? Because four years is is a while.
2: Yeah, and actually I think uh, in rereading, one of the things that I discovered every morning was uh, that the characters needed to be more dynamic. There was some little twitch about them that I needed to put in, uh, a change in their voice or a tick, a facial tick that they had, something else that needed uh, to be embedded into the story to make them more believable and different from each other. And what I hear, I've done about, since January, I've done about 14 book clubs. And what I hear from everybody is they love the characters. Yeah. So that's good. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Now, and speaking of characters, so the so Claire McIntosh, she survives this terrorist attack, this pretty intense uh, moment that happens right up front in the novel. And then the reader gets to watch her basically do what you did, you yeah. know, try to recover from a traumatic brain injury. And, you know, we watch her take her medicines. We watch her not, re- like, know somebody who she's known for years and it's like, well, I I know like about you, but I don't know your name. And, oh, that's right. This is your name, you know? And so we, we were kind of watching her go through that. And to me, it felt very believable, but I also happened to know that that was your experience somewhat. So it seems like your investment of your experience into Claire was certainly very successful.
2: Well, I think, it. you know, most writers write because it's therapeutic. You have a quest that you're on, a personal quest. If you don't have that in your writing, then you're writing for some other reason, an essay, a, a politics, or to get back at someone, or, you know, just a rant. Um, but if you're writing a novel that you want people to read to lift them up or change their lives in some way, uh, your purpose is is really to develop those characters and make them... So believable that they fall in love with them, and so they have to be people that you know in some way, and so that was the inspiration for Claire. Now,
1: one of the things we like to talk about here, especially when we're talking about character development, is how, in order for the character to be like internally consistent, it's going to go in ways that you may not have intended, you know, because you have character A and character B, and when they come together there, it's kind of like an opportunity for anything to happen. And the more characters you add, the more they influence one another.
2: Sure. I think, you know, everybody has a different style and a different process. I often would sit down and just begin writing and you never knew where the scene would end up. But the bottom line was, there was always a purpose in each scene. There was always some point that I was trying to get across to the reader. That was really uh, believable. I think sometimes your characters come alive so brightly and so intensely that they take you as a writer to a place you didn't know you were going to end up.
0: Yeah, and then we've had that conversation with some other authors. They were like, you know, I'm developing this character, and all of a sudden they took a hard right. You create these things, and then they go on and they take these lives, and... It's you as a writer
2: to kind of be like, well, you're telling me your story now. And I think part of it too as a writer is that you have to resist doing the same thing over and over again with a character. It's too comfortable. You have to resist that canned technique that you have, and you have to push yourself beyond that boundary and do something that you have never done before.
1: Do you feel like you get to that point at the halfway mark? How long does it take you to get comfortable with a character enough to challenge yourself when you're making, helping the character make decisions, I what,
2: guess? You know, that's almost two different questions. So you, there's that point of no return in the plot where the character has been challenged by their old life And their systems, in some way, it no longer works. And so at that midpoint in the plot line, you have to develop that character to the point where they have this moral dilemma. And the character has to take off in a different direction, a new beginning, almost a rebirth into a different life that's going to propel them in a direction that either solves that moral dilemma or makes that moral dilemma even worse Mm. in a tragedy.
0: You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with author Barbara Shant. When you were working with... Third Haven, and you were going through that process of working through your own brain injury and then also working through Claire with hers. I mean, when I read the scenes in the beginning where she's, you know, in the hospital and she's struggling to connect the dots, and we as the reader know what's happening, but she's clearly fuzzy. I mean, that really resonated with me. I mean, my wife had a traumatic brain injury. She mm-hmm. was in a terrible accident um, last summer. And as I was reading, especially those opening chapters where the injury was fresh. And I was watching Claire struggle. I was like, man, this really resonates because if you've been close to someone or you are someone or who's had a traumatic brain injury or you've been close to someone who had that, those scenes really hit home. And I hate to ask this switch, but was that hard for you to
2: write that? It was a release. And, and there's only a little bit in this book of what actually... Happened in real life. I have been honored on two occasions to speak to very large groups of people about my personal experience. And that's a rather detailed experience that I've written about privately, but everyone keeps saying, Oh, you should write that story. Oh, you should do that. You know, that's really important. It's going to help other people. And it's just that it's so close still for me, even though it's been eight years since it happened, it's so close yet that I can't really wrap my mind around putting that in print it's Mm. so personal i'm still reluctant to do it but i'm able to talk about it now and i think i'm working to that point where i'll be able to do it so claire really does the the whole scene where she feels like she's ophelia and floating away in a river that definitely happened and Mm. more uh so yeah yeah, it, and the whole thing where she is searching for words and experiencing the whiteout and has facial recognition problems, those are all things that I've had and still have to a degree.
0: Yeah, I mean, Patty still has those. I can watch her, you know, just struggle for a word or get the two, the words mixed up mm-hmm. and, and all that, and she's not quite a year out from, from her accident, but it's it's something that... You really did bring it to life, and that's why I was just wondering if it was, you know, how how, how hard it was. I was
2: hoping that I could bring it to life because I think there are a lot of people out there who have a brain injury and may not even know they have one. It's one of the most undiagnosed disabilities that we have in the United States, and a lot of times it's sports-related and something that occurred when you were young, and you just get used to it, and you find ways to work around it Uh, as you get older— the symptoms can get worse. And so oftentimes you need to have that professional who's going to train you in ways to work around the problem. And the example that I gave you earlier was, you know, when you're searching for a word that's just not there, you you keep repeating other words that are similar and wait for someone in, in the audience or a friend to pop up so with the right kind word. Kind throw, throw you a <laughs> bone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: it's it's kind of like the like taboo that way. Like you're saying all the words except the one that you want. to say. Except the one yeah.
2: that you want. It's so frustrating. <laughs> um,
1: when you're writing about this, though, there's always a chance, there's always a worry, I'm sorry, I always have this worry, uh, that you'll be too committed to telling what you want to tell as opposed to serving the narrative. And did you find during the editing process that you're like, well, that was too much or that was not enough?
2: Absolutely. And that's the reason why people ask me to come speak about it because it's not really in the book. Everything that I went through is not what Claire went through because she's on a different quest. Mm. Um, She's on a quest to find herself as a mother. The story is ultimately about three mothers who are trying to maintain their sense of family and one young man who is an immigrant who is trying to find family. Um, So for all four people, it's really a novel of, of searching and quest.
0: Right. Cause you dig into issues of, um, MS-13 in the novel and terrorism and, you know, the machinations of the political, you know, uh, schemes that happen in DC. And then, you know, the, then kind of juxtaposed against that, you know, coastal Delaware. So it seems like you really had a lot of stuff that you were working with, and that's why I think it's just incredible that you, you've you got this, that you're able to swing all that together. I mean, I mean it would be insane for me to try to pull together, but, I mean, it just
2: was, you know, it was really incredible. Well, I'll tell you, I, I can't remember Excel. You know, that got wiped out once I fell off the ladder, but uh, my experience working in a major school system within the Washington metropolitan area um, and coming into contact with, uh, young people who were recruited into MS-13. Uh, over and over again, many of those scenes are composite scenes of actual students that I knew. Um, some who ended up dead, maimed, and certainly many who were deported um, went to jail and then were deported. So that was those are real experiences that I drew from, and and in Montgomery County alone. This this year, well, th- in the past year, there have been six murders, um, all related to MS-13. So they're wow. enjoying a resurgence right now in the area. When um, I was working, uh, it was the beginning, and, and we were all very naive about their influence. We just had our eyes closed. Um, but the police um, and... Um, investigators started to put two and two together. And, and I'd say by 2010, um, they had really wiped them out, but, um, money disappears Mm. and that's how things come back.
1: And now you, um, before you, before you started the novel, you said that you had been working on poetry and what was, I guess the first time you sit down and you're like, okay, can I still write? That must've been tough. Um, how did you how did you get through that and to the second time which is i like, you know and can you talk about how you progressed in writing poetry enough to get to some of the more long form things
2: well i wasn't into haiku <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you that i uh after living in the washington metropolitan area where everything is um, it's very built up there's a beautiful leafy canopy over the entire area but Um, there's a lot of traffic, there are a lot of buildings and then all of a sudden we moved to the shore and it's a completely different experience here. So it motivated me to just look out the window every morning and see something that I wanted to write about. And there was this, we had swans out on the creek and there was this one signet that swam in a circle because a turtle or some other animal had eaten off part of one of his little flappers, and he struggled to keep up with the rest of the family. And he spoke to me. He really spoke (laughs) to me (laughs) because I had uh, nerve damage. I still have nerve damage to my left leg. So I was kind of swimming in circles too. So I wrote about him quite a bit. He disappeared. I don't think he made it. Poor fella. Yeah. Well, I mentioned
0: at the beginning of the podcast that uh, Third Haven has won two two awards, and I wanted to make sure we we brag on you a little bit, so the Thanks. first time the first award you got a first place in fiction from the delaware Press Association, yeah, and that was quickly followed by a first place in fiction by the National Federation of press women,
2: yeah, yeah unbelievable i was just so shocked and i'm not i'm not one of those people who goes entering this and entering right. that and entering something else so this was totally a fluke to start with a good friend told me you should enter this so i did i entered dpa and uh, i wasn't even a member but then i joined mm. and um, then i won and and then you, they automatically then refer what you wrote to the national contest, and and uh, I I won nationally, and I could not. I'm still stunned. Yeah. So I'm going to the conference in Birmingham in September. Um, you know Faulkner country and right. uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and all of that. And uh, they're paying my way. <laughs> That's so fantastic. I'm really excited. It's going to be a, a real great experience. You know, I didn't start this to have a second career. This is not right. what it's about for me at all. It's, uh, I've already done that. I had the career. And uh, I just did this to see if I could come back and be close to the kind of person I used to be. And um, so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be recognized this way.
0: You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with author Barbara Shamp.
2: And I think a lot of people don't understand that self-publishing is all on your own shoulders. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's it's a different kind of experience than the old days when people would go out and find a a big publisher who would nurse you along through the process. So um, it was... It was a long haul. Once the book was finished, it, it took another three or four months to just figure out the whole self-publishing route. Right, yeah. and you didn't... In- I Amazon. don't recommend it for anyone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, can, you, can, can you tell us about that whole process?
2: Oh, yeah. It's, it's extremely difficult. I, um, I, I started with CreateSpace and ended with CreateSpace, and I have to tell you that um, their art team... Uh, for finding covers just is fantastic. I have nothing but the best to say about them. They don't read your book, but because I had a foreword in the book, um, one, one artist read it and said, well, let me send you a different set of covers that might appeal to you. Because we had been looking for 10 days. Right. And she sent this cover that is absolutely perfect. It's uh, a woman with... Uh, clouds running across her face uh, almost like a muzzle over her mouth that you can tell she's silenced she can't find her own words and yet her eyes have this steely gaze and her shoulders are granite they're just made out of granite so it was it was the perfect it's a beautiful cover it's a beautiful cover and on the back is uh the Patek Philippe pocket watch, which follows the sun, um, Claire's son, all the way through the novel to the very end, and um, so it's very symbolic with a setting sun. So I, I, I am so pleased with Create Space and their artistic team. Um, the rest of it's much harder to do, and, I, and the only thing I can recommend to everybody is don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call them every single day <laughs> and ask the question. They're helpful. They really are. And yeah.
1: then so, the, I'm sorry, you said that they didn't read the book, so the copy editing, was that all on you? And
2: Yeah. Well, I did uh, have an editor um, who is a professional editor out of the Philadelphia a- area who edited the book for me. Um, One of the things that she said to me after the fact was, every time somebody looks at it or every time you change a word, it has to be copy edited and line edited again because there's always the potential for another mistake. yeah. And that was the thing I didn't know. So I ended up making too many corrections with create space. And every time you make a correction, it costs you a bundle of money.
1: Ah, jeez. Oh, dang. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And so, um, so they, so they, so I'm sorry. So you said that create space people, they, they line edit or
2: you can pay for line editing. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that that was something I probably should have chosen. It would have been way more expensive to do with the 286 pages that I have. Um, but instead, I paid a, a line editor, a professional line editor, uh, to do the the editing for me. And it was a good sum of money, but it probably would have been better in the long run to just pay CreateSpace. <laughs> well,
1: I... I I was in the newspaper business for a while and you, there's always this reaction against the copy editor who's the most valuable person on the planet. But, yeah. you know, you're like, you want to say like, well, no, that that you just don't get it. And they're like, well, no, that's that's how the language goes. If, yes. if you want your sentence to sound better, pick better words. But <laughs> with the words that you've given me, this is what it's going to have to look like. Yeah. And uh, I always feel like, we've talked about this before, but I always feel like the more angry I am about a suggestion – the more likely it is that – because I hate to be wrong. Yeah. So if, if my gut reaction is that stupid, then it's probably not stupid. It's probably right on the nose. What Was your experience at all like that with, with your editor or
2: – No, actually, she was really great about my prose. Um, there were very few times where she wanted to change uh, the meaning or the prose that I used, um, but there were corrections that she had to make, and one of them was just simply, I'll never forget, was uh, the overalls that a farmer was wearing, and how I expressed that was incorrect. And coming from, coming from this area originally, she absolutely knew what her father put <laughs> on every day. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that, um, that she offered that were really, really helpful for me. Uh, there wasn't too much about MS-13 that I didn't know. I did do a lot of research about it. Um, a young woman named Brenda Paz um, had a book written about her and her relationship with the Fairfax—I uh, believe it was Fairfax County—attorney, um, who was her almost her protector. Uh, because she was an informant, and this was quite a few years ago. The book is called uh, This is for You, MS 13 and it's now out of print, but I was able to get a copy of it. And their techniques have not changed. This was the late 90s. Their techniques have not changed at all because we had the exact same thing occur um, 10 years later Mm -hmm. in a different population north of the city.
0: Wow. So those, those moments where, you know, we're write, writing fiction, but real life is going to bleed in. And yeah. whether it's the overalls, the coveralls, or whether it's, you know, the gang tactics, or whatever, you've, you've got to be right about the details if the
2: fictional narrative is going to carry itself. Absolutely. absolutely, And people know, I mean, your readers, they're aware and they're going to tell you about it. I've only had one person who called me up and said, hey, you're wrong about that Toyota Prius it's not good in the snow, <laughs> so I feel pretty good. That's the only correction I've gotten so far on the book. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens as more people read it. It's 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 getting a it's getting good press and it's getting pretty widely read. So I'm very happy about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I checked it out on Amazon and it's got you know all four all five stars. I mean, a few here, four here or there. But I mean, the the reviews on Amazon are very positive. I mean, winning two first place fiction awards with it. I mean, it's like you came right out
2: of the gate and you just started knocking out home runs. It's, yeah. I can't believe it. I yeah. still can't believe it. I'm stunned by the whole experience. Um, and grateful, very grateful to the entire writing community that I've met and, and, you know, when you live on the shore, you have to drive forever to meet people of your ilk. And so I do, because I've been in education all my life. And so if you do that, you are also taking classes all your life. And one of the things you find here is that there's very few opportunities for writers to learn the craft. So I travel and I go to workshops away in Richmond or Philly, or I want to get into that point where I'm Taking those big vacations off to the Greek Isles or something, right? While right. I work on my craft, <laughs> but what what uh, uh, emboldens me on a weekly basis are all the people that I know here on the shore who are sharing that experience. And uh, you know, we even get down to the meaning of the right word in that sentence. It's so important, yeah.
1: And so, I'm sorry. At these conferences, do you do? You, I've not. I've not ever been to a writer's conference. So. What can you can you tell me about, like, you get there and you just start handing out your manuscript? I don't know how that works at all.
2: Well, the one I just attended was really great because uh, they had your writing time in the morning, and I'm a morning person. And so if you're a writer, you have to develop a pattern. I encourage everybody to to develop that kind of schedule. Even if you are working full-time, you need to find the time in your schedule and dedicate yourself to it. So we had morning time where three hours, four hours where we could write in the morning, and then around lunchtime, there was poetry reading interviews of writers, international writers. Um, We had a a professor from New Zealand. Um, We had one from Belgium, Charles Holdifer, uh, award-winning people jillian sullivan um who who were there to instruct us and we spent three hours in the afternoon in classes with them depending on what genre you were interested in and then we had a small break and then then we had the evening program so it's grueling you spend five days like that and Mm -hmm. you have a real brain drain at at the whole end of it i've also done a five-day workshop with um Howard Norman, who is a professor at the University of Maryland, and he is absolutely brilliant, um, a prolific author, and uh, really gave us great instruction every day, um, well worth the experience. So I think if you're looking for, in a way, experience, you need to look at the people who are going to be the instructors and find out, what the quality is before you go and spend that kind of money and and time to go away and learn yeah
1: and so but you you found that valuable how much of this book got done at conferences and how much got done?
2: Well, I'll tell you, very little of it gets done at the conference. It's, it's the jump start that happens from the conference when you get home. Mm. That just burns inside of you. that you, you can't help but just want to sit down and let me get to it. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. you, you
1: were saying you were writing in the morning. So what happens to that stuff, the stuff that you write in the morning?
2: Oh, okay. So that's a good question. I had gone to this conference with a, a few pieces that are going to begin the sequel to Third Haven. Um, And they were workshopped in the afternoon. And uh, I'm a different kind of plotter and planner. So uh, one of the things that you do when you're writing suspense, you have to know where your plot's going. You have to know all of the little pieces that are going to go into it. So it was very helpful for me to run it by a group of people in a flowchart. Not too many people do that. Not too many people write a flow chart. And and (laughs) after, but what's interesting about the flow chart is, is that it doesn't limit me. I don't let that say okay well you put that on the flow chart so that's what you have to write if my character wants to go in a different direction like i said i i push myself to let him go in that direction and then the plot can change
1: you know what never changes
2: your limericks
1: well my my lust to have people ask you for limericks i guess yeah, that's the same thing
0: you're you're never you're never over that are you <laughs>
1: So if you're interested in reaching out to us, we're interested in reaching back out to you. And uh, we would like to send you a little something. you want to talk about it?
0: Yeah. So if you like the show and you like what you're hearing, and if you like limericks and haikus, you can go to our website, which is com. There's a contact us button. Give us your name, an email address, pick a word, send us your address, and we will... Tony will take that word, make it into a limerick. I will make it into a haiku. We will put it on a postcard, slap a stamp on it, and pay a guy to bring it to your house.
1: Just like it's 1859.
0: It might come on a pony.
1: <laughs> All right, Stephanie. Well, now is the part of the show where you thank the guests.
0: Well, Barbara, thank
2: you so much for being here and talking with us about Third Haven. Thank you so much. I can't really appreciate the opportunity. You two are great. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review.
0: Tell your story.